What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarland. And, and Dwayne, we were sort of talking before this show started uh, that it's not the busiest of news times. I know there's still plenty of stuff to, to do and look at and scout, but um, how are you handling it with, with not as much actual news for the next few weeks? Yeah, it has. It's it's really started to slow down just like the last couple of days. Um, you know, in some ways, it's all it's 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 nice because you know I've been doing a lot of research, and we'll get into some stuff here in a little bit. People are going to get an exclusive today. You're getting an, oh. an exclusive look into the supermodel for tight ends. We did wide receivers last week. Look, this isn't going to be on the site until late this week. But if you're listening to this pod, if you're watching it on YouTube, you're going to hear all about the rookie tight ends today. But um, yeah, it's always interesting this time, but we know it's like just the calm before the storm, Marcus, because the draft is now less than a month away. And like, once we get that, it's when we can really start to lock in like our projections, our rankings, you know, things will change through the summer. We'll, we'll chase down some really bad leads, you know, just <laughs> beat us. Other times we'll be right about those leads, but uh, yeah, it's kind of a little, little less calm before the storm with the draft coming and uh, yeah, excited to jump into it. Yeah, absolutely. This is the time of the offseason where you've got prospects making visits to certain places. You've got coaches and general managers kind of throwing out smoke screens about what they want to do. This is the time of year where if you are really following draft coverage and you are hanging on every single word that I would say, not just a grain of salt, but keep like a whole canister of like Morton's next to you because so many of the things we hear may not be a hundred percent the truth they may be sort of thrown out there for effect so that's worth kind of keeping an eye on but as Dwayne mentioned uh this is kind of the soft launch if you will of the tight end rookie supermodel uh we'll kind of go through that as he mentioned we did wide receivers last week so we'll, we'll talk and talk about the tight ends and uh this is fun because this has reportedly been according to all sources one of the deepest tight end years that we have seen in a long time so a lot of names worth mentioning but I want to start on what is, as we mentioned, generally kind of a slower period for news. There are still mock drafts happening. And Lance Zerline uh, at NFL.com, who does a lot of great work, uh, put out his most recent mock draft. And so we decided to kind of dig through and see some interesting things there. And Dwayne, one thing caught both of our eyes uh, in this mock draft, and that seems like a good place to start, Lance has Anthony Richardson going to the New England Patriots. I, you know, look, we're not that far removed from the Patriots drafting Mac Jones and us wondering whether or not he was the quarterback of the future. Was it a surprise to you to see another top quarterback prospect mocked to New England so soon? Well, I thought it was interesting because we've also had, you know, the news here recently. This just really, well, I don't know if it's news, but rumors at least, right? There's been murmurs at a minimum right. that Mac Jones has been shopped, right, by the Patriots. Now you've got conflicting reports. Some people coming back saying this doesn't make any sense. They've checked their sources. Nobody knows anything about it. And then you have others being more bullish on it. So I don't know. A lot of times where there's smoke, there's fire. But I thought it was pretty interesting. And that probably played into this for Lance Zierlein, who honestly is one of my favorite film analysts out there. Um, you know, he does a really nice job at NFL.com because I love the way that he he's very transparent, like with the grading process and everything. And you've got the data that can go really far back. So you can use it and test it out with other data sets and things like that. So I really appreciate his work. Um, he's not necessarily saying this is going to happen. But like, I, I, I do feel like, you know, there is something going on with Mac Jones and the Patriots. 
Um, it hasn't been necessarily a great marriage to start. Like his rookie season was okay. Like it was kind of funny. I think in the fantasy community, we were mostly like, well, there's no weapons. So there wasn't a lot to talk about, but like in NFL circles, they were like, you know, Mac Jones was a pretty solid rookie. And if you could surround him with more weapons, maybe he could do more. And then last year, you know, you had the injury. Um, there were just some other rumors going on with them and it just, it never got really, you know, back on track. We had the Bailey Zappi thing, you know, where there was a controversy, is he going to be the starter moving forward? And some of those rumors have kind of, you know, trickled into this off season as well. But Anthony Richardson would be a true departure, right? From anything, you know, as far as going with <laughs> Mac Jones, like you're talking about a guy that would really be a different kind of offense that you would be running as far as the Patriots go. Now we did see the Patriots, you know, utilized Cam Newton a couple of seasons ago. The passing element was not there, but Cam Newton was an absolute monster down inside the five, inside the 10-yard line, scored a lot of rushing touchdowns that season. So it, it does pique my interest. And, uh, you know, in the past, you know, we've actually had Belichick connected a little bit to the Florida program in different ways. So I don't know how much there is, you know, as far as actual legs to this versus, you know, Lance just like, you know, there's speculation going on. This would make sense. The Patriots need a quarterback. Um, he doesn't necessarily, you know, delineate all of that or lay out all the points about it in the mock draft. But wow, like I would say it would be it would be interesting. Again, still need weapons. But, you know, I could I could see Belichick buying into a player that has such versatility like Richardson. I think it's interesting, too, because it it sort of reminds me a little bit of what the Cardinals did not that long ago. They go out and they draft Josh Rosen, and then not long after they get Kyler Murray. Now, look, I will – there's no argument that Mac Jones is already a better quarterback than Josh Rosen ever was in his career. But the fact that the Patriots, if this really is true – and again, this is all just sort of you know, talking points and good conversation for this part of the offseason – but to go from a guy like Mac Jones to a guy who's just a kind of a semi-raw athlete with a lot of great traits like Anthony Richardson, uh, as you mentioned, it is a very much a 180 from what they have been doing. I also think, Dwayne, it's sort of interesting just from a football perspective that it seems in the last uh, decade, maybe even less, that Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft have kind of butted heads over quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, uh, there was all the always the rumor that it was it was Belichick that sort of wanted to move Tom Brady out and give it to Jimmy Garoppolo, and Robert Kraft said, no, we're going to hang on to Tom Brady. Now, potentially, uh, this talk of wanting to move Mac Jones and maybe bring in another quarterback. Uh, you know, I know marriages don't always last forever, especially in the NFL, uh, but it, it's interesting that the quarterback position seems to be the one that, that's causing potentially a rift here in New England. Yeah, and it's the one that should cause the biggest rift. It's the most important position, you know, in the NFL. I I would say, you know, with Belichick, you know, I think the drumbeat's going to continue. Like, there's just a lot of pressure for him. Like, he's never done anything without Tom Brady. Now, we don't have a huge sample. We have the time that he was in Cleveland, you know, then we have the time, you know, now with New England without Tom Brady. <laughs> and it hasn't necessarily been great. But at the same time, he hasn't had, you know, a quality quarterback either. So it's... It's tough. I still think Bill Belichick, like the truth is somewhere in the middle. I still think that he can be a really good coach, but it just goes to show you like how important the quarterback thing is. And if for some reason they don't think Mac Jones is the answer, I liked the parallel that you drew with the Cardinals. I think we are moving into an age, especially with the way the salary cap and everything's set up. The rookies can't get the monster deals they used to get. You know, if you're an early uh, first round pick, especially as a quarterback because of the rookie scale and everything now, um, it's probably better to go ahead and make a move. Like if you really don't think it's going to work out, like, you know, you need to get quarterback right. So why wait?
No, exactly. And so we'll, we'll see what, whether or not this actually happens, if this is just the talk, but it's certainly an interesting conversation point uh, at this point. Uh, Jackson Smith in Jigba. Uh, Lance has him going to the Tennessee Titans. And that creates an interesting pairing. Now, I, they're still trying to figure out quarterback because Ryan Tannehill is nearing the end of his career. But you pair JSN with Traylon Burks, and that looks like the beginning of a decent wide receiver core, at least on paper. So whoever they decide to go quarterback-wise, Dwayne, there's at least a foundation for, of somebody to throw to there. Yeah, once you throw in, you know, the potential for Okonkwo to also take a step forward, you could potentially have three nice young passing game options, right? We've got the rumors that they're trying to move on from Derrick Henry. I think Ryan Tannehill could still function and support, you know, one or two fantasy options in the receiving game if the Titans will be a little bit more willing to throw the ball. We've got that one little thing that also kind of sticks in the way. You know, we saw a few years ago where Corey Davis and we had A.J. Brown have solid seasons together, right? A.J. Brown was still the, the the better of the two, but Corey Davis had a wide receiver two season. So we could still see that happen with Ryan Tannehill. I think the big thing for me here now, Marcus, is really it seems like the the really the draft analyst and the folks that are doing the film work and all the other stuff, you know, getting ready for the draft, I'm seeing more and more, it's pretty much consensus now that Jackson Smith and Jigba is the number one wide receiver off the board. Early on, remember, it wasn't that. It was like, hey, it's going to be Quentin Johnson. It's going to be Jordan Addison. We had Daniel Jeremiah. We had Lance Zierlein. I mean, pretty much every mock draft we saw, Jackson Smith and Jigba was like the second or third guy. I have to give the fantasy community credit. The fantasy community has <laughs> been on JSN since the very beginning. That's no slight to those other folks, you know, with without their expected draft capital, which a lot of that we get from them and through the teams, like it would be really hard to run our model. So this stuff all works together. But I think just looking at JSM, pretty much every mock I see now, Marcus has him as the number one wide receiver off the board. So if you got an early bet down on JSN as the number one wide receiver off the board, then good for you. And I think what's what really kind of fueled the fire, at least earlier in the week, was Brian Hartline. Uh, the wide receivers coach at Ohio State, listing the top five guys that he has worked with uh, since he has been in Columbus. And JSN was number two behind Marvin Harrison Jr. So that sort of got, I mean, you know, ahead of Garrett Wilson, ahead of Chris Olave. Uh, I think that really... Terry McLaurin. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that threw some logs on the fire for, you know, what was already a pretty you know, big JSN inferno. So uh, we'll see if Titans, interesting landing spot there. Dalton Kincaid, we'll talk tight ends in just a little bit, but uh, Lance has Dalton Kincaid going to the Green Bay Packers. And I loved your note that it would be ironic if after the uh, after moving Aaron Rodgers, when that eventually happens, that now the Packers are going to go out and and spend resources on pass catchers. Uh, I don't know if I'm if I'm Rodgers, maybe I feel a certain kind of way about that. I would like. I mean, and you know, <laughs> as you know, fantasy folks like we've forever been screaming for more weapons. You know, for the mm -hmm. Packers, they finally you know they spent a nice second round pick last year on Christian Watson, and we saw we got nice things at the end of the year. So. Um, yeah, we'll we'll get more into Kincaid's profile here in a minute. But the Packers, like, it would make sense to me. Like, they need another weapon to go with Watson. Watson can really be your vertical threat. I do think he's got the potential to develop more uh, into more than that. He was pretty raw, even though he was an older rookie coming out of a really small school. So really good things for him. But Kincaid could be like a really nice compliment, Marcus, in that offense. Plus, they like to use a lot of play action. There's a lot of uh, opportunity to create mismatches with safeties and linebackers. And I think Dalton Kincaid can do all of those things. And at least then, you would be set up to know um, hopefully, right, to know if Jordan Love can take that next step. Because if you don't add another weapon, 
it's also going to be tough, right? You're still going to be like, well, do we have enough around him? And they're trying to make a call. I think they're trying to make a call on, is Jordan Love good? They want to figure that out this year. Yeah, I think I think that is why you're seeing that investment in pass catchers in this offense. I mean, it, yes, you would love it with Aaron Rodgers, but I also think there's an element of, hey, look, man, this guy is a Hall of Famer and he can elevate people around him. Let's see where else we can shore up. Uh, and, but now you're right. Jordan Love still a little bit of an unknown. So why not try to give him the best opportunity by by building around him a little bit? Um, Jalen Hyatt mocked to the Chargers, and I feel like this one is maybe better for real football than for fantasy, at least in the short term, Dwayne, because you know Keenan Allen's still there, Mike Williams is still there, uh, you know Austin Eckler is going to catch the football. Hyatt is going to have to battle to get targets, but he does offer that speed that we keep saying the Chargers need so desperately in their wide receiver room. How do you how do you view this this potential landing spot? Yeah, I agree. I had actually uh, I was working with Kendall Valenzuela. We were putting some stuff together for our social graphics over at Fantasy Life and. You know, she had asked me, uh, hey, landing spots, some some favorite interesting landing spots. And this is one I had actually thrown out there. And then the mock came out and I really love it. I agree with you. It's better as an NFL move early on could eventually right really mean fantasy upside for a guy like Hyatt, you know, being paired with Justin Herbert. You mentioned it. It's just all about that ability as a vertical threat. You know, there were some people coming out and saying, oh, yeah, we really thought he would run faster at the combine. Like, if you just go watch Jalen Hyatt, look, there are questions about his film for sure. But when you go watch him play against SEC opponents, there's no doubt. Like, speed will never, ever be a concern for Jalen Hyatt. Like, can he get off the line of scrimmage? Can he beat press coverage? All that kind of stuff. Those will be questions because they really protected him. They did not line him up on the ball very often. But when you get him into a position and they played him from the slot 88% of the time and another, you know, an NFL team could do that, right? Use him more as, you know, a vertical kind of slot receiver. But I think for the Chargers, it would really be a huge, huge help to really the one thing they're missing. They've got great intermediate and underneath weapons between Eckler, assuming they can keep him what we have with Keenan Allen. You've got Mike Williams also can work deep, but not a true, like just going to beat you over the top and catch it in the basket for an 80 yard touchdown. He's more of a contested kind of guy. So it would really add something different. Um, if Kellen Moore, you, you know, if, if, if he has a wish list, I'm sure adding something like this would be at the very top of it because I mean, it would be a very complete offense at that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, they need speed. That's the one thing that we keep saying that, that they are missing in that offense and they can in, integrate him any kind of way. Uh, that only helps everybody else, including the quarterback, uh, if it actually happens. B. John Robinson is obviously the number one running back off the board, very likely to be the only running back drafted in the first round. Lance has him going at number 27 to the Buffalo Bills. Uh, this is everything we want, right? I mean, we've been wanting a running back that can play three downs in Buffalo. Bijan Robinson is without a doubt that guy. Uh, this this feels like a match made in fantasy heaven. Yeah, honestly, like wherever Bijan lands, like there's there's a few spots where we'd be like, oh man, wow, this is really going to be a battle now um, because there are some good backs, you know, that are starters. But like, there's a lot of places where wherever Bijan lands, we'll just deal with it and we'll be like, okay, great, we're just going to rank him in the first round. This is one where it would be really good because we just wouldn't have a doubt about his ability to take over the lead role. Um, now, they they did add Damian Harris, but I think we could easily see Bijan get 285, you know, rushing attempts, you know, maybe 40, 50 targets in this and a high-end offense with an opportunity to score a ton of touchdowns um, with the Bills. So, yeah, I mean, will the Bills do it? I don't know. Like, if I were the Bills, <laughs> and look, I love Bijan, 
but my bigger priority would be grabbing another wide receiver, um, especially with the guy we're about to talk about next. That's kind of sliding, sliding down draft boards. Um, you know, if they had a chance at him, but like receiver would be my pick, but I don't know which receivers will be available when it gets to the bills. Um, but like getting a number two to help supplement what you have with Diggs and eventually be the replacement plan for Diggs, who's starting to get up there a little bit in age, like that would be a bigger priority for me. But wow, Bijan would certainly be fun, like from a fantasy perspective on the bills. Absolutely. And so right now, that is where Lance Zerline has him mocked. You talk about wide receivers potentially landing there. I know Bucky Brooks has mocked Jordan Addison to Buffalo. And Daniel Jeremiah has the next guy on the list, Quentin Johnston, uh, going to Buffalo. As for Lance Zerline, Lance has Quentin mocked to the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and you mentioned that you've been surprised maybe how he's sliding down mock drafts at this point. They also bring in Brandon Cooks to go along with C.D. Lamb. Uh, so at least in the short term, there looks like there would be, if this happens, a lot of target competition for Johnston coming into Dallas. Well, it would be great for Dak. Like Dak Prescott yeah. would be, you know, we would really be thinking of Dak as having potential mid-range QB1 upside if they were to land Quentin Johnston to go along with C.D. Lamb, plus having Michael Gallup then as your three. Like, I think that could be, you know, that'd be a really good trio um, as far as, you know, supporting a good fantasy quarterback. Now, with Quentin Johnston, like, my biggest takeaway with him is, like we've been saying with JSN, climbing boards pretty much consistently the wide receiver one off of most of these expert drafts that we're seeing now. Well, Quentin Johnston is the one that we're seeing continue to fall, and he's drafting, being drafted really more at the end of the first round. So I don't 100% know what's behind that. Um, I know, you, you know, he, he did, you know, work out at the pro day and there aren't really that many concerns anymore. I don't think about the speed. I do see a lot of things online about him being a body catcher, not fully using his length and things like that. And some of those things do show up on film. I'm just going to say this real quickly though, like from being someone that's tracked a lot of this stuff, trying to figure out, does it matter? Does it not matter for fantasy football and all that kind of stuff? Man, there's body catching like on certain things just really doesn't matter to me, especially when you're a big guy like Quentin Johnson. Like if you're trying to high point a ball down the football field, yeah, you really need to. Obviously, you don't want to negate your height and catch it on your shoulder pad and let a shorter DB, you know, bat the ball away. But like if you're coming on a slant route, a comeback route, a hitch, something like that, and it ends up getting in on your body and that's what you need to do to secure it. Like on those kind of passes, it doesn't really bother me. And it, again, for me with Quentin Johnson, it's all about the upside. Maybe, maybe there is a floor that people are concerned about his hands, but man, it's really tough, Marcus, to find a combination of a guy that can work down the field the way he does and then also be so, so good after the catch. Um, you know, you just rarely see a combination of players that can put those two things together and be really elite in both. And, you know, who knows if he'll continue that at the next level, but he's done it this far, right? All we can do is grade him off of what he's done to this point in college. And I just feel like you could really be overthinking a player like Quentin Johnston, letting him fall to the end of the first round. I also think, you know, if this were to happen, this does signal a change in philosophy in what the Cowboys are doing offensively because, you know, they had been so centered around Ezekiel Elliott for years. Obviously, they're moving on from Zeke, and now this truly is becoming Dak's offense. So why not give him some more weapons, some more guys to throw to, and Johnston would certainly fit that mold uh, with a chance to sort of work behind, you know, Lamb and Cooks for a year or two and then maybe morph, evolve into a bigger role uh, in, in the near, near future. Cedric Tillman, wide receiver from Tennessee, 
first round mock, which is not something you're seeing a whole lot out there, to the Kansas City Chiefs. And we just love the idea of wide receivers to the Chiefs, uh, especially, you know, guys who could potentially be versatile. Um, but still, maybe a little bit surprised, Dwayne, that he's going this early. Yeah, Tillman, that one, that, that stuck out like the most to me, um, along with the Anthony Richardson thing. Um, and I will say, like, there is, there's a group within the scouting community that really does like Cedric Tillman. But whenever you put him into a model, um, so like if we look at the Fantasy Life rookie supermodel, he came in as the 12th best wide receiver. Um, you know, this is talking about him potentially going in the first round. And this isn't to say that either side is right or wrong. The things that drove Tillman down in the model, he was a late breakout. Then he's playing as a senior. He's never truly had, if you have a guy playing into his fourth season, you like you would like one really, really elite season to hang your hat on. He's never had that. Now, when you look at people evaluating film, what they value a lot, and I do think it's important, like he was really good against Alabama. Like, you know, I mean, Cedric Tillman came out and just balled out against some of the best players in the nation, and he was battling through a high ankle sprain in his senior year. So those are that can be context and things that you can pick up that can be tough, right, on the model. Now, the model excludes games missed and all that kind of stuff as far as their target share. So we try to put things in place. But he's a really interesting one to me because it's a guy that I really wasn't that high on after doing the research. I did watch him. I'm not a film expert the same way that Lance is. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of got, you know, that one eyebrow kind of raise the thing like, you know, okay, like maybe there's something here with Cedric Tillman. I'm not seeing, obviously if he gets first round draft capital, it's going to move him up, you know, in our ranks. Um, but right now we've got him assuming a third round draft capital. So that's a big difference between that and what Lance Zierlein is saying could potentially happen with the last pick, obviously. And if he goes to the chiefs, well, that's going to add fuel to the fire. Like how high does Cedric Tillman shoot up in like best ball? if he goes in the first round all of a sudden and it's the Chiefs that take him? I mean, he does. He goes up through the moon. Uh, you know, I also <laughs> wonder if there's a lot of folks out there who, who have made people go to the, the moon, moon, to the moon. He would go through the moon. Go through the moon. To <laughs> That's a quote <laughs> through the moon. I, you know, there are all the people out there who love Kadarius Tony, understandably, like how conflicted would some of these folks be when you have a Cedric Tillman uh, and a Kadarius Tony in that offense already with Travis Kelsey, but man, it'd be fun to watch. I think people, would probably i don't know like i think there's a lot of people that are ready to give up on tony right because they're just done they're tired of being hurt so part <laughs> of me wants to say that there would be a really good chance that tillman could end up going before tony wow. but there's also a lot of really sharp people that would probably look at tillman's profile and be like eh, you know there's enough problems with it that this could be another ceh type pick for the chiefs right. Yeah, it'll definitely be, you know, again, all of this is speculation. These are mock drafts. They're mostly for entertainment purposes. But if it would happen, that would be uh, an interesting thing to talk about. A couple of tight ends that Lance has in the first round. Michael Mayer from Notre Dame going to the Lions. Luke Musgrave from Oregon State staying in black and orange and going to the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, which feels like a good way to transition into what we were going to talk about today being the rookie supermodel. For the tight end position, where we kind of dive into some of the, the different attributes and uh, overall uh, scores and things that make tight ends interesting to talk about here. And so, Dwayne, we kind of went through it last week for, for folks who maybe missed it or uh, you know don't remember uh, a little bit of an overview of how the model works and, and how you put this whole thing together. Yeah. And, and real quickly before we jump into it, this is this is on the fly. I just went ahead and put into the model. If we gave Cedric Tillman the 31st pick overall in the draft 
and he would move to the 72nd percentile uh, in the model, which would put him in tier two with Jalen Hyatt, Zay Flowers, Josh Downs, Marvin Mims. Those are all guys expected to go in round two, though. So all the other three wide receivers right now expected to go in round one. Now Zay Flowers has a chance at that as well. But the other three are all in the 90th to 86th percentile. So while he would move up, there would still be a clear difference, obviously, uh, with Tillman um, versus the, the versus the other guys. But yeah, as far as the tight end model goes, just a if you folks didn't get to see it or hear it last week, I definitely um, encourage you to go check out our um, episode last week, looking at the wide receivers. And there are a few differences um, because really the way that I you know kind of figure out which things we want to weight the most in the model, Marcus is pretty easy. I just look at all the data that we have, and then I correlate that to fantasy points per game over their first two seasons. And um, we look at three seasons or some other things we look at, but the gist of it is we're looking at fantasy production. And then the things that correlate the most highly, they get the most weight in the model. And so there are a couple of things that were really interesting to me. Um, Yards per route run actually really popped way bigger than four receiver. And it kind of makes sense to me because what's one of the big things we're talking about all season long, we're talking about utilization report for tight ends. We're talking about how some of these guys, they don't get to run as many routes, right? Their, their route participation percentage is lower than, you know, some of their peers. Well, it's the same thing in college. Like some guys are asked to block more. Some guys get to be on the field less. There's a lot of different things going on. So the yards per route run makes sense to me that it might be actually a little cleaner than something we use for receivers. Like, uh, career and best yards per team passing attempt. Now that actually came in third. Number one was still expected draft capital. Duh. It was by far still number one, but number two was yards per route run. Number three was yards per team passing attempt and then explosive target rate. So those are catches of 15 plus yards or more divided by your targets. That's your explosive target rate over your career. And then another interesting was your average, uh, interesting data point for tight end was your average depth of target. And then finally, just your age. What age did you break out? These None of these, um, besides yards per route run, are as strong as they were with receivers. Overall, the model is a little weaker than it is for receivers. And part of that is also due to sample size. We don't get that many tight ends, right? That, that are, Every year we have way more receivers drafted than we do tight ends, especially ones that are going to have a chance to get on the field and produce as fantasy um, scores. A lot of tight ends are brought in to be an extra blocker and things like that. So there's just some nuances that go on with the tight end position that I think make it a little tougher to model. But I was still very encouraged, like because we're only going back to data with two th- in 2017 to get some of these advanced data points like the yards per route run, explosive target rate, average depth of target. Um, so I'm excited to see like where this goes with the model because tight end has always been a, been a more difficult um you know, position um, pretty much with anybody that you look at in the dynasty community will tell you. In fact, a lot of people don't even do a tight end model just because they're like, well, it's just not accurate enough. And I agree with that, but I still think there's a lot of directional information that we you, we can use from the tiers um, where I feel pretty confident in, it, in our ability to say, okay, these are the guys that we feel the best about. Well, and you know this as well as anybody, the more that we're building these sort of models and the more data we're putting into them, uh, down the road, the hopefully the more accurate they get as well. So, yeah, exactly. uh, you know, r- right now, maybe it's not what we want it to be, but doesn't mean it can't get there uh, at some point in the future. Uh, broke this down into three tiers, which, of course, you can check this out when it is available uh, at FantasyLife.com. You can go check out the wide receiver model as well, which is already uh, up and available for you at Fantasy Life. But in tier one, two guys. Dalton Kincaid, who we just talked about. Uh, Lance Zerline has him going to the Packers. And being called the best receiving tight end in the class, I uh, am still you know, kind of nursing my own scars for what he did 
uh, against oh, USC man. this that past year. <laughs> I watched every snap for the last two years for him, and uh, man, that last year against USC twice, you oof, know, was yeah. Uh, I mean, in, in the regular season, 16 catches for 234 yards and a touchdown. The Trojans didn't have much of an answer for him in the uh, Pac-12 championship game either. Uh, Dwayne maybe doesn't offer a whole lot as a blocker, but again, for us in the fantasy community, we don't really care so much about that. We want him on the field and catching passes, and at least on film, uh, that is a thing he does very, very well. Yeah, he, and he didn't just limit it to USC, just so if you're a USC fan, you can feel a little better. He also <laughs> really picked on UCLA, so it was a California thing, apparently. <laughs> apparently, uh, yes. But yeah, it was... Uh, it was it was tough it was tough sledding. I felt bad for those linebackers and safeties. I felt by the end of the game they're just like we know it's coming this way and like there's nothing <laughs> we can't we can do anything do. about it. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rough. Um, but with Kincaid, you know, actually when I started this process before I had created the model for tight ends because I already had one for receivers last year and I just kind of tweaked it for this year. But this was my first year to really truly give it a run at tight end. I had Michael Mayer as my number one. Um, there are both of them tier one. Um, but I, if I had to choose right now, I would go with Dalton Kincaid, especially for fantasy, because just watching him, I really do feel like the upside is just absolutely elite. And of course the data within the model is, is, is the biggest part of it. You know, these guys are both, ex both expected to go in the first round of the NFL draft. We could have up to four guys go in the first round of the NFL draft. We'll have two more that we'll talk about with Darnell Washington, as well as Luke Musgrave here in a little bit, but these two are pretty much locks. Like they should be first round picks at the worst case. Maybe one of them slides into the beginning of the second round. So the draft capital is really big. But for Kincaid, like the yards per route run, um, 2.32, um, uh, sorry, 74th percentile for his career. And he had an 86th percentile best yards per route run at 3.00. So those were really good things. You heard me talk about how much yards per route run matters in the model earlier. And then when you pair that with his um, you know, explosive target rate, 30%, which is just, that's insane for a tight end. Um, that's 82nd percentile. Um, so 30% of his targets going for, um, you know, 15 plus yards or more. And then if you look at his average depth of target, it was over 10, which is something else that, in the, that the model really kind of picked out and seemed to like, you know, guys that can push the ball vertically down the field and they can also create after the catch. And he has both of those things. And I will say like watching him like as a junior and even some of his sophomore film, like he didn't break a lot of tackles, Marcus. Like there was a lot of like, he kind of tried try to make this like the old college backward juke move, you know, where your guy <laughs> makes the weird animation. Like he would kind of do that thing. And this last year I noticed like he still had that in his bag and he would make the first guy miss, but was also much more willing just to put his head down, get a really low pad level, push for a little bit of extra yardage. But he broke far more tackles um, after the catch, 16 this last year as a senior. So I don't know what he did in the lower body uh, workout department, but it's working. So he just needs to continue on with that. But he became a much bigger problem. He was a guy where it's like, wow, this guy's a really good receiver. He can get open. He can move the sticks for you on a third down. And he really developed into more than that in his last year. Now, one thing with, that the model didn't necessarily love, and it doesn't matter as much as it did for receivers, but it's age. He'll be 23.9 years old when the season starts. But also when you take in a little bit of context, he didn't play. This guy did not play football until his senior year at high school, Marcus. Mm. And he was a walk-on at the University of San Diego for two years. And then he ends up going over to Utah. So he's really, yeah, he looks like a late bloomer because he's 23.9 years old when the season starts. But really, when you look at like his football age and like how much he's done in a very short amount of time, and then to be doing the things that you talked about against the high level of competition, 
like um, USC. In fact, no other tight end in the nation against Power 5 conferences over the last two years had more yardage or touchdowns than Kincaid other than Brock Bowers, the superhero out of Georgia, (laughs) which will be a lock first-round pick, probably high first-round pick next season. Um, So Kincaid is the only other name that came up, and he had 1,132 yards and 12 touchdowns against Power 5 competition over the last two seasons, which is just really, really huge. So he just hit on everything. And just watching him, like he's just, he's really, really tough to cover. He can track the ball down the field. He can win in one-on-one situations. Yeah, he's not as strong as Darnell Washington. He's not going to be as good of a blocker. I would think the one potential concern I would have is like what we saw happen with Mike Gusecki. Now, he's better than Mike Gusecki was as a, as a prospect, but you could see him struggle to get on the field as an every-down tight end. So you'd prefer he lands somewhere that's a little more pass-heavy that'll just let him play in the slot right out of the gate. But like you could see long term, like what if the coaching staff gets fired? The next staff comes in, they're like, well, we are starting tight end, kind of like what happened to Gasecki last year. It's got to be someone that can block so we can run our 21 personnel and run the ball. Like that, that's, that's the caveat with Kincaid. If he lands in the wrong place or a new coaching staff comes in, there could be a challenge there. But man, I, I struggle to see it being too big of a problem because he's just really so good in the receiving game. And I just think when you talk about, you know, the limited amount of time he's played football compared to what he has done production-wise, I think you, you look at a guy yeah. that has a high ceiling there, a guy that um, you know is still sort of learning, kind of learning the game in a lot of ways, right? Because he hasn't really played that much football. You mentioned he was at uh, USD for a couple of years. There is a high ceiling there, and I'm, I'm curious to see what a team can do if they're able to mold and- him a little bit and turn him into that. Yeah. Two other names that were around that age whenever they started their NFL rookie campaigns, um, George Kittle and Dallas Goddard. So there's just also (laughs) that, you know, so it doesn't matter. Age does have a signal here in this data, but it's not as big for tight ends as it is for receiver. And his closest comp in the model was actually Dallas Goddard. And the second closest was Gerald Everett. And he would kind of be the downside, right? Gerald Everett did have a really nice receiving profile coming out, has not been quite as strong at the next level. He's been good when he's on the field, but what's been the challenge? He hasn't found a team to truly give him that 80%, 90% route participation. Again, that kind of ties back to the kind of floor scenario where Kincaid could get into some troubles. Yeah. Um, The other guy you have in this tier, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, uh, the comp from Lance Zerline, uh, a guy that you you know, watched a lot of them, sure. Jason Witten, um, good all-around tight end, can offer something for you blocking-wise in the run game, can catch the football as well. Uh, you mentioned you had him as number one. He's kind of slipped a little bit, not far, just behind Kincaid. But what, what do you like or don't like about Mayer right now? Yeah, and they are really close. Um, what I love about him is the fact that he came on like as a freshman, earned a starting role at a, at a program that's very prestigious and known for its tight ends. He finishes leaving as a junior, and he is the all-time record holder for tight ends at Notre Dame, you know, in receiving yards and touchdowns and receptions. It just says a lot. It's not really an easy record to break. Now, not every one of those tight ends have gone on and turned into, you know, an elite player at the NFL level, but we've had plenty of high-quality draft picks out of Notre Dame in the past. And for him to come in and do what he did, like, it's just, it's really saying a lot. Um, But as a freshman, he had a 25% dominator. So remember, dominator is just taking their share of the receiving yards, their share of the touchdowns for the team, and you just average those two things together. And 25% was really great. And then he had a 37% in his junior season. The one thing with Mayer that puts him behind Kincaid 
um, is just the fact that he wasn't as explosive with the ball in his hands. Um, he did not create as many targets downfield. His average depth of target wasn't quite as good. And so that and the explosive play rate being a little bit lower is what ultimately gave the nod to Kincaid. But what I could, what you could make an argument, I think, for Mayor Marcus is that he's probably the safest tight end in this group. I think Kincaid as a receiver for fantasy has the most upside because he could, he could, he could really be a guy that works primarily out of the slot and gives you 13, 1400 yards receiving and catches 10 touchdowns. Like, you know, we're not going to call him Cooper cup, but like he could play a role like that. I don't see that in the range for mayor, but I see a better floor because, you know, most of the scouts will tell you he is ready to operate as an inline blocker. He can still add strength and things like that. So he's a really good receiver, not elite, probably like Kincaid, but a more robust perf- profile when it comes to thinking, well, can this guy just get out there and stay on the field and have an every down roll? I think you probably have to give the nod, you know, to Mayer for that. Yeah. And it's, you know, sort of what you talked about, right? Where Kincaid in the wrong situation might not be able to get on the field a whole lot because Mayer does offer you something as a blocker that increases the chances that he's going to see more snaps. And, you know, ideally uh, that, that turns into a few more routes and a few more chances to, uh, to catch the football for him. Tier two. You mentioned Brock Bowers, and he's going to be the name that we're all talking about at tight end in next year's draft. But in the meantime, Darnell Washington comes out, and uh, the one thing you just hear about him consistently is just that he is a size-speed freak. I mean, he is an enormous man who ran really, really well. Uh, You've got him in Tier 2. What did you take away when you crunched the numbers on Washington? Yeah, so Washington is another one when I started the process. Um, I didn't think he would grade out this high. Again, production matters, but some of these other metrics that we're adding in that are showing a signal really helped Darnell Washington once you weighted it out and you graded him completely across you know, all the categories. Obviously, high expected draft capital in the second round is also helping him here. There is a chance that he could go in the first round. Um, when you watch Darnell Washington, we'll get to his production here in a second. It's just fun, I have to say. Um, I was down on him coming like into the process, like I said, but I couldn't help Marcus, but just smile watching him play. He's not the best route runner, but man, when the ball is in his hands, you want him to win a contested catch. It's just really hard to beat him in that situation because he's just monstrous. He's six foot seven, 264 pounds. You know, he's got really good speed for his size. And with the ball in his hands after the catch, like this dude's hurtling people, he's stiff arming. Um, you know, he's not, he doesn't take him as long to get up and get going as you think he still has more build up speed, obviously, than just like quick twitch. Look how huge he is, but he's really fast. And man, my favorite thing watching him is watching these safeties, just forgetting who they're playing against coming downhill. Like I'm about to blow this guy up. The best one was against Missouri. This guy, like Darnell Washington's going up to high point the ball. The guy comes in like from the side, just trying to blow him up. And he just crumples like a piece of paper. And Washington does fall, but he's just kind of looking over at this guy like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're trying to kill yourself? <laughs> like, this is like, you know, like a Hyundai having a head-on collision with like a semi. You know, this is just not good. It's not going to end well for you. But think that those sort of things in the NFL, now we're speculating here. But like, if you're playing a full, if you can play a full-time role, like like what people used to do with Gronk, and I'm not trying to say he's Gronk. He didn't have near the college production as Gronk, but I can I get why the NFL scouts get so excited 
they're very excited about this guy and the NFL teams are excited about him. He's probably going to go higher than what people think. He has a top 14 relative athletic score or RAS since 1987. You guys can go check that out from Kent Lee Platt. He has a great site, you know, so just go check out RAS. Uh, you'll easily find it, but he has dominated the combine. And so those numbers really stack up with what we saw. So remember the two other things that I talked about, so besides watching him on film, but it was just the fact that, you know, how explosive he looked once he had the ball in his hands and, and the ability to create, you know, those mismatches. So if you look at him, his average depth of target, you know, was really good. 80th percentile, 11.7 yards um, per target. And then if you look at his explosive target rate, Marcus, so again, catches of 15 plus yards or more, 34% of his targets went for 15 plus yards. That's in the 100th percentile. That's the best we've seen since 2017 so that really helped him out in the model despite the fact that his career high targets per route run and i use targets per route run for him because he was playing behind brock bowers so let's just basically look at when he was on the field what was he able to do he only had a 17 percent career high targets per route run that is worrisome because even if he's out there with brock bowers once he's out there it's like okay well great like you should still be able to earn like a 20 25 targets per route run just to kind of give you an idea the career at, or the the average best targets per route run for guys that we've seen go on to post top 12 finishes. Again, this is just data back to 2017. So let's not get like overly carried away, but it was 24%. So he's well below that. So the challenge is, can he really earn targets? There's something going on with him in that area. Can he continue to grow? He's still a young player. He's only going to be 22 years old when the season starts. But man, his average uh, yards after contact is the other one, Marcus, like that just really blew me away. This is kind of back to the Quentin Johnston thing. 7.6 career yards after the catch. The average for other tight ends since 2014, going back on a season-by-season basis, uh, for guys that had a similar A dot that are stretching the field, was 5.1. So he's way, way over what the average is, even after adjusting for the average depth of target, because typically as average depth of target goes up, your yards after con- your yards after the catch, not yards after contact, sorry, yards after the catch go down. So there were some really positive things about him, some really negative things about him in the profile. Overall, though, still comes out in that tier two. Boom bust, man. Like, if he does somehow put it all together, I could totally see how he'll boom. I can also see how people would argue, don't even mess with him, because how could he only have a 17% targets per route run? This guy was a top 25 recruit in the nation the year that he went to Georgia. So putting that in context, it is disappointing that he didn't do more when he was there. You know, it's funny because I'm looking up, you know, the RAS score on him, and one of the comps is OJ Howard, and I think that's sort of interesting, right? Because you're mm, talking about a guy, yeah. you know, who's really athletic, a guy who we, you know, we kind of got to know at Alabama for making big plays, but a guy who's never really quite been able to put it together. Maybe it's been situation, maybe it's just been his performance. I've uh, never quite put it together in the NFL, and I feel like that is an interesting comp for Washington because he does have a lot of those same really great athletic traits. Um, you know, wasn't necessarily always super involved in the offense at Georgia, as you mentioned, but you know, the ceiling potentially is high and we, we sort of like what we see there. So curious to see where, where he might end up at this point. Uh, other name in tier two, Sam Laporta, uh, you, you write up says lackluster size, but great adjusted production on a bad offense. I will also throw in the asterisk there that Iowa recently has put in the NFL, some really good tight ends. The guys like George Kittle and TJ Hawkinson and you know Noah Fant being a really athletic player uh, for Sam Laporta. What do you see potentially as the, the outlook for him here? Yeah. And what's crazy about those guys is they were not four and five star recruits. So like Scott Barrett had a really good tweet 
you know, he was like, Hey, if I was an NFL GM, like one of my first orders of business would be like finding this person that, that <laughs> scouts all these tight ends and helps develop these tight ends at Iowa and like immediately add them to your team. Because like every person he touches, the things he clearly knows what he's doing. He knows what he's looking for and that team knows how to develop them. So whatever that recipe is, yes, NFL teams should be looking to actually maximize that and, you know, do similar things. But with Laporta, um, he's kind of the opposite of Darnell Washington. He's he's six three, two forty-five instead of six seven, right? You know, two sixty. There's some concerns about his inline blocking. Uh, you know, it there are people that think he can really grow into that. But he was also in a really bad offense, so he really wasn't on the map until later in the draft process, I think. But he had 111 receptions for 1,318 yards, um, four touchdowns over his final two seasons in Iowa, which if you go back and look, that's a big, big, big percentage of everything uh, that they were getting there, um, if you look at Laporta. So uh, with him, he's a guy that, you know, the production's absolutely there. Like, he eclipsed a 20% dominator uh, very early on. Um, with a 26% and his age 20.6 uh, year. Um, if you look at him as far as, you know, when he was a senior, he counted for 32% of the team's targets, 34% of their yards. We were just talking about the last two years he had. He has a 23% targets per route run. Um, so, and, and he did that. And he also, he threw that 23% up as a freshman, even in a limited role. So his target earning ability has really shown to be consistent, even when he had less of a role early on in his career. Um, so that's something you like to see. The model really liked that, that he had that consistency and that he had shown it early on. And then if you look at his yards per route run, look at his average depth of target, all those things were solid. Like he's not a deep target like what we saw with Washington. We'll talk about Luke Musgrave in a minute. He's another one that really garners these these targets down the field. He was more of an underneath guy, but that hasn't been a death knell. That's also what George Kittle was. Um, so we've seen other guys come out of this program and not necessarily be seen as field stretchers when they were there and they're just fine. They can kind of do everything, not kind of George Kittle can do absolutely everything yes. at the next level. And not to say that Laporta is, you know, George Kittle, but his data stands on it, on his, on its own. Like he's a very high end target earner. The question I would have is what is the upside? Um, how much of his, you know, okay yards per route run, like it's good enough. Like he grades out fine in the model but like you would want it to be even a little bit higher to get more excited about him. But the quarterback play was just really, really bad, Marcus. So if you, as you can imagine, like something like targets per route run, great, you're earning targets. The quarterback may not affect it as much, but yards per route run, if your quarterback is missing you, they're inaccurate, um, you know, or they're hitting you with the ball, but you're having to stop to catch it. You can't keep running those kind of things. It's going to affect your yards per route run. Like it, it's going to have an impact. So the question with him is with a more accurate quarterback and a better offense in the NFL, can it unlock some additional efficiency for him? If not, that could make him more of like, we're just really depending on big volume for him in fantasy. And he could still be a low end tight end one, I believe in the right offense if he didn't have a lot of target competition in that scenario. But if for some reason he's really got more to give in the efficiency department, like then he could truly end up being like an elite prospect out of this class. It's just hard sometimes to really, even as much as we try to peel all the layers to the onion, sometimes it's really hard to decipher much as the quarterback how much is the tight end like, you know, so we, we have to try to account for it as much as we can in the model, but it is an outstanding question for him. Yeah, no, uh, Iowa to be kind was offensively challenged. They have been the last couple of years uh, there for the Hawkeyes there. And, you know, I Johnu know it, was the big comp for him. And I liked that one. Mm. Johnu was really more of an underneath guy run after the catch guy earlier uh, in his career, you know, has been doing a little more blocking and other things now lately, but I thought Johnu was a really, was a really solid comp for Laporta. 
No, I think that's good. I, I mean, I, I like that comp. And so you're right. If he lands in the right spot, there's definitely the reason to, to be optimistic about his, his production there. Uh, tier three, couple of names here. Tucker Craft. Uh, you say he has tier two data, but FCS prospects. So I assume it's the level of competition that sort of knocks him down to this third tier. Yeah. So within the model, what we have to do is adjust for your, your competition. And so when you play for an FCS school, um, like if we just took his pure data and you look at his best yards per route run, 2.38, that's the 63rd percentile. You take his career yards per route run really good, 2.33, that's in the 74th percentile for tight ends coming out since 2017. But once you adjust that data for the fact that he played against the FCS, he only played one good school, really, and that was Iowa. I mean, so this he, he literally played a lot of really lower-end competition, and you just have to account for it some, some way. So that moves him down to Tier 3. But just, you know, kind of keep it in the back of your mind. Like, there were teams, like Alabama tried to get him to transfer um, after his junior season. So there were some big programs that became interested in Tucker Craft as he started to, you know, show more film um, and get, you know, get some things on tape. Didn't ultimately end up, you know, going to play for one of those other big programs, decided to stick it out with the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Um, but it's interesting to note that, that, you know, he had that big school interest. So once you give him the downgrade, like he's fine. He's, he's kind of similar to Laporta, more of a lower ADOT, mid ADOT kind of guy, um, but was really solid after the catch. Um, again, some of that can come back to quarterback play. When you watch his quarterback, um, you will see a lot of missed passes. So that definitely has a, a little bit of an impact as well on his data. But overall, just a well-rounded prospect. And he's another guy that the scouts really like. Like, there's a really good chance that he's going to get this uh, day two capital, be a second-round pick. If not, maybe a third-round pick. Um, so, yeah, I like Tucker Craft. He's definitely going to need to land somewhere, you know, in the second or third round, or he's going to fall down in the model. Uh, and again, I'm still trying to figure out the best way to manage this, like as far as these smaller schools and things like that, it's something we'll continue to work on. But based on the data that we have today, we know that it has to be docked some, and that's what hurts him. I'll tell you what, the Raz comps, uh, the top two on the list will open your eyes. Travis Kelsey and Dallas Goddard. Now, obviously, <laughs> this does not mean that he's going to be <laughs> as productive uh, as those guys, but in terms of just his his athletic testing and, and sort of the comps there, those were the top two names on the list. So, um, you know, if you're Tucker Craft, you at least, you know, gives you a warm feeling to know that, that you're sort of testing in the same uh, range as two guys who've had really good NFL careers so far. Uh, last one here, Luke Musgrave. I mentioned that Lance has him projected in the first round, staying in black and orange, going from Oregon State to the Cincinnati Bengals. And your your description of him seems perfect. Scouts love him. The data doesn't because Lance has him mocked in the first round. You've got him in tier three. So it, it sort of seems to kind of bear out at this point. What What do you think about Luke Musgrave? Yeah, it definitely is the biggest disconnect between what you know the film analysts are saying versus what data is telling us. Um, and again, this model only goes back to 2017, so we don't want to overcount for anything. In fact, like I could have made the model, like just trying to say, Hey, here's how predictive it is against first round capital. Like it did some really nice things, but you don't want to over tighten it down, you know, based on any one metric and say, this is the end all be all because we know we have more data coming and we need a larger sample. And so you want to be careful about like, you know, overrating the model. And with Musgrave, it, we could be wrong. There's also just a really small sample of what we got to see with Musgrave. He played in a 2020 shortened COVID season. Um, but like, you know, these shares and things take account for that. Everybody had to deal with it. You had uh, last year, he was off to a really good start. The first two games, like, 
great. Like he was dominating as a, you know, a senior, but then he got the knee injury and we didn't get to see any more. So the problem is like his overall data. So his career uh, targets per route run really below average versus what, you know, the top prospects have been Um, and not just prospects, the ones that have been good at the NFL level, his yards per route run also really low compared to what we've seen from these other prospects. Now the area that he popped the most, you know, uh, that it does agree with where a lot of the scouts see him. You know, if you look at his, if you look at um, Musgrave's average depth of target, it was really good. You know, so he was someone that, you know, showed up to be someone that could stretch the seam. It actually matches up with his combine numbers, which were really good. This is a guy that's really tall uh, at six foot six, 253 pounds, and he can run. And so he's going to create some mismatch problems at the next level. The concern is like, can he be more than just a seam stretcher mismatch? Right. Because the data seems to suggest that even though he played um, at Oregon State, there was not a lot of competition here for targets. His career targets per route run, 17%, not really good. That's below the, the, the NFL top 12 average of 20%. Earlier you heard me talk about the best season being a 24% targets per route run. He was also well below that. Um, his career yards per route run was a 1.38. Again, if you want to look at the 50 routes he ran last year, which you just can't. You can't overweight that data. So I'm really using, leaning into his career numbers here, but 3.38 yards per route run in those 50 routes as a senior. See, he was off to a booming start, no doubt. Um, but then if you look at his yards after, after the catch, also not really great. You know, he was only a 3.8. That's below average versus other collegiate players with a similar dot at 5.1. So he just came out below average in everything other than the way he ran at the combine, the size that he has, and his A dot. So I'm not saying that he's going to be a complete miss. I hear some people say names like Dallas Goddard being his comp. The comp I would give him, and it's not in the model because it's a, a player that you know existed before we had this data that I'm using in the model, but it's Kobe Fleener. That was a guy that was really good at you know in college at Stanford, stretching the seams, doing some vertical things, but never truly turned into that complete player at the next level. So he did some nice things in the NFL, but he never was truly that, you know, weapon that we feared or that we were that we were actually salivating for you know as fantasy managers and again the scouts are very big on musgrave so we could be wrong but like we got to go with what the model tells us so i'm i'm kind of leaning away from musgrave not saying i would never draft him in a rookie draft but i'm just not going to reach for him i think what it is is yeah athletic testing wise he did really really well um you, you mentioned that sort of the things throughout his his college career that leave you wanting more. I think people just looked at him on the field in terms of what he did, especially at the combine and, and, and things like that, and um, sort of see what could be. Maybe that has a lot to do with it. Um, but you think it's, I don't say it's weird, but I feel like in a draft that is already so deep at tight end, um, I'm surprised you see people maybe elevating a guy that you know, does have some kind of question marks, but... Uh, you know, what do I know? I just host a, a Facebook That's where I struggle podcast. too. That's where I struggle too. I think <laughs> Kincaid and Mayer are, clear, are clearly ahead of him. Darnell Washington is similar to him in that we've got a really small sample. He wasn't ever a great target earner, but he popped in more ways. It wasn't just the average depth of target. It was also his ability in yards after the catch. It was also his ability to, which goes together with dot and helping create explosive plays, which were really good for Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington is also no doubt going to be someone that can play on the line of scrimmage and just blow people up. You didn't see that in Musgrave. So what are his paths to getting on the field? Does he have to be more like a Mike Gusecki slot kind of guy? I just feel like there's a lot of question marks overall in the profile, the high end of the profile. If he suddenly takes 
the size and the speed and what he's able to do down the seams and at the next level is suddenly coached up to be able to do way more. Like, yeah, clearly it's there. But this guy was a former three-star recruit. He wasn't like a five-star. So this isn't someone... That's why I, I really do kind of struggle, to be honest. Like, where people are jumping on him so much, and to your point, especially in a class like this, with so many good prospects. Yeah, um, you know, this is going to be one I think we're going we're gonna to talk about for a little bit, especially depending on what the, the landing spot is. Uh, if you want a full breakdown of each tier, you can check out Dwayne's article and the Rookie Tight End Model Tool on FantasyLife.com. As we mentioned at the top of the show, this is a sneak preview. It's a soft launch. So uh, for folks who don't listen to the podcast, you are a little bit ahead of the curve there. Uh, any any idea on when this will, when folks can find it? It'll be up on, on Friday. Webs? It okay. will be, uh, yep. And th so there will be something on the Friday newsletter. The article will post on Friday as well as the model in our uh, tools. Awesome. Uh, the model for wide receivers is already up, so you can go check that out at FantasyLife.com. You can also check out uh, some of the Dynasty rookie profiles, the staff kind of going through and picking some of these guys uh, to kind of write about in depth, including a couple of the guys we talked about today, Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer. Uh, they are up on the board as well, so you can go check them out. And as I always say, suggest, uh, subscribe to the newsletter and get Matthew Berry's name in your inbox each and every single morning. All right. It's a good spot to leave it here. We'll come back and uh, we'll have some more rookie model tight end tiers. Not tight end, but rookie tiers for you. Running backs. Running backs yeah. are next, Marcus. Running backs are next. So uh, look forward to that coming up uh, sometime next week. In the meantime, we appreciate you hanging out with us as we always do. For Dwayne, I am Marcus. This has been the Fantasy Life Podcast. Please enjoy the week, everybody. And we'll talk to you again real soon.